Welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. And I'm Kristen Chase, and we're the founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, we're going to be talking with the one and only Jenny Lawson about so many things. And, you know, we're not psychics, but it's going to be amazing. (laughs) It's just going to be. No doubt. And of course, we're going to close out our show with our Cool Picks of the Week. Our lovely friend, Jenny Lawson, probably needs zero introduction with most of you. I know. Is there anyone who doesn't know her? Pretty sure not. But guess what? We're going to tell you a bit about it anyway. And don't even try to fast forward. You're going to listen. So here we go. (laughs) She's known online as the blog S based on her personal blog and has become an award-winning humorist who writes with great candor about her struggles with mental illness, including anxiety and depression. She's the number one New York Times bestselling author of many books. Let's pretend this never happened. A mostly true memoir, Broken, and You Are Here, which is a very fun coloring book that a lot of people wanted to buy. And then she followed them up with her latest. Also, number one New York Times bestselling book, Furiously Happy, a funny book about horrible things. And it is. It is a funny book about not so great things, which we're going to talk about today. Meanwhile, in the midst of all of this, she also opened her own business in part to stop her from buying too many books. Those are her words, because she also will tell you that there's no such thing as buying too many books. It's called The Nowhere Bookshop. It's in Texas, where she lives with her husband and her teen. She also says she would like to be your friend unless you're a real asshole. And just so you know, (laughs) she said to say this, so I'm not putting words in her mouth. And one more thing, because October is National Depression and Mental Health Screening Month. We thought she would be an amazing guest to come talk about depression in a way that won't make you depressed. We hope. So welcome, Jenny. Yay! Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. We all go way back, like early blogging days. Mm -hmm. So it's so fun to have you on. And I can't believe we haven't done this before. Oh, why did this take so long? (laughs) (laughs) She's busy writing best-selling books, man. Okay, okay. Yeah. You have a few things going on. Just a few. So, you know, first we wanted to talk about kind of like the early blog days. We're talking 2007, 2008, 2009, around there, right? When you used to leave comments on our personal blogs all those years ago, you wrote to me a lot, but I remember the first comment that really stood out. You were like, Liz, you look like this porn star from Italy. And you shared her picture with me. That's right. Do you remember that? I was right though. And I was like, oh, and you go, are you mad at me? I was like, no, I'm very flattered. <laughs> She's beautiful. And every single time I was like, what if she secretly both of those people? Because if she is, I want to be friends with her even more than I want to be friends with her just from her writing alone. <laughs> I love it. You just wrote really funny comments on everyone's blogs, which is back in the day, pre-social media, like how we found each other and knew that we wanted to engage. I just remember it was very prolific and always very nice to see someone who had taken the time to read what you thought was like this amazing work about baby pee or something. (laughs) Just like, thank you. God, someone cares. And you know, I feel like you're one of the few folks who, you know, you still have a spot on the web, right? Not just social media. You obviously have a very large following, but you have a very active, engaged commenting section. You still blog and people still read it. So I'm wondering, like, does this inform your view of community online? Like, has it changed since social media? Like, talk a little bit about just the community of folks online that you engage with. Well, I am really, really lucky. I think for a lot of people, the whole thing of social media is you know, like, don't read the comments, don't feed the trolls. And I think that can be really good advice. I am very lucky, though, in that the community that I have around me, they are so supportive and kind and nice. And even when people are like, 
purposely shitty Mm -hmm. in the comment section, they're the first ones to pop up and be like, are you having a bad day? Are you okay? There's something about that that sort of disarms whoever it is. And either they'll be like, oh, actually, I I was having a bad day. Day. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I said that mean thing, you know, or they you just go away. So <laughs> I, I feel so very lucky to have created this community because with my anxiety and my depression, it's not uncommon for me to get sort of agoraphobic, right? I don't leave the house and I have a hard time talking to people, even on the phone, you know, even with this podcast, like I had wanted to do it before. And then I was like, I can't do it because I was like not in a good place mentally. And now I am, so I can do it. But the great thing about having an online community is that I can reach out at three o'clock in the morning and be like, I'm pretty sure everyone I've ever met hates me. And I know that people will reach back out and be like, I feel exactly the same way. And you know what? That's not true. And if it's not true for you, then maybe it's not true for me. And then suddenly I can go back to sleep. And I just think that's so wonderful. Well, I think you're a great example of how, you know, we always say that blog friends are real friends. (laughs) And many really are or have become real life friends. Like I've seen that with you and we have similar circles. And I was thinking about when you first started sharing openly about anxiety and depression. And I remember the first time I was aware of it, we were speaking together. It was the blog, Her Voices of the Year. Do you remember that? do, yes. And we were all up on this big stage speaking to, it was the first time I ever read my work to like a room of 500 people. It was crazy. And you came out in a wig. Yes. And you talked about your wig. And I was like, this is fascinating. Yeah. I had a lot of problems with anxiety at the time. I still do. But at that time, I think my social anxiety was a little bit stronger. And I was so nervous about it that I thought, what if instead of it's me out there, if I put a wig on and then it's almost more like a persona. And if I fuck something up, I can just take the wig off and people will be like, what happened to that blonde girl? And I'll be like, I don't know. That bitch was crazy. Yeah. So for a long time, I I just called it my confidence wig and it was the ugliest wig. I mean, you just looked at it and you were like, that's a wig. And there were so many people who were like, is there a sick person here? Because she's not looking well and she's wearing a wig and it's <laughs> oh, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, you know, stick in a different way, I guess. Yeah. So, do you remember when you first started sharing about that openly? Like, when you first started writing about it? And do you like recall what the response was? I do. So, I'm not sure I had started the blog as yet. I think I was still doing the Mama Drama blog on the Houston Chronicle. Mm-hmm. And I was writing a lot of, you know, I wrote really sort of, you know, funny, kind of irreverent stuff. And when I would have these periods of depression, I could couldn't write. So what I would do is I would have all of these like posts that were sort of saved up. And whenever I would get to the point where I was like, there's nothing funny in me. I hate myself. I hate everything. I would post these posts and I would get these comments of like, you're so funny. Your life is so funny. And and I was like, this is making me feel worse because Uh like not only am I creating this false history, but also this cognitive dissonance of people laughing with you when you're miserable is so much worse. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to come out and say it. And, you know, this was 15 years ago. Now I think it's a little easier. I don't think it's ever easy, but definitely 15 years ago, I really thought people would run away when Mm -hmm, I said, mm -hmm. I have depression and I have to take medication. And, you know, I, I have all of these issues with anxiety. And what I found was that instead of running away, the people said, me too. And, you know, I thought I was the only one who felt like my, 
life wasn't worthwhile sometimes or where depression was lying to me. And, you know, what's really wonderful about that is, is not just that I have been saved so many times by people who have reached out to me and said, you know, your work is important to me, even while in my own depression, lying to me and telling me like, everybody knows that you're a fraud. Everybody knows that you're overrated. So I've been saved. And then I can take that and send that out to other people. And the wonderful thing is when I started writing about it, I had all of these people, I, I, called it at the time my folder of 24 because I had these letters that people would send to me, people who were actively in the process of planning their suicide and decided not to and decided to get help instead, not because of what I wrote, but because they saw thousands of people in my comment section saying, me too, me too, like the world would be better off without me. And they read those comments and they were like, well, that can't possibly be right. Of course the world is better with them. Like that's just crazy. And then they thought, well, you know what, if that's crazy for them, maybe that's crazy for me too. Like maybe I deserve to give myself a chance to try to treat this. So what I think is really wonderful are there are all of these people who are alive today, like, you know, mothers and children and, and they're alive because a stranger on the internet said, I feel bad too. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel the same way. And all of these people on the internet who left this comment, like they saved lives mm-hmm. and have no idea. And, and I think it just says so much about how these little things that we do, how it ripples out and how it affects people. Ooh, that's powerful. I think that you've done such a beautiful job of cultivating the community too. I think you have one of the, I mean, I've, I've been in your comment section. I've read it often. And And I know that it is one of the most amazing communities of people. They're so supportive. I mean, you've raised money for causes. You've done donations. The people just are so activated in such a positive way. And can we just talk a little bit about the lies? You mentioned that depression lies. You talk a lot about that. Anxiety lies. You know, I'm an anxious person. And I feel like you have been able to talk about that in a way that, I don't know, it just sticks for people, right? Because I think we hear a fair amount that depression lies. You know, I don't think we hear as much about anxiety lying, but it it does. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about that? Like you have a community that you go to and you're like, I think everyone hates me. And then people are like, that is your depression lying. But I imagine there are a lot of people out there who don't have that sounding board. How do we navigate that? You know, I have kids who are diagnosed with depression. I have my own anxiety. You know, Liz can talk about her stuff. Raising hand. (laughs) We're all raising hands. I mean, it takes practice. It's hard to do. But what else can you say about that? Um, You know, one of the best things that you can do is if you have the ability to, to be honest about what your current struggle is. And the thing that I have noticed is that at almost always when I'm in like a new group of people or maybe I'm doing something businessy and they don't really know who I am and I have a panic attack and I have to say, I'm so sorry, I am having a panic attack, I need to leave. Almost always, at least one person will say, oh, I totally get it because either they have it mm-hmm. or somebody that they know has it. The other really wonderful thing is in being able to talk about it you're not only helping to reach out to let other people know that it's okay for them to talk about it, but it's also helping them in the future because I think it's like one in four people deals with mental illness, but even if you've never dealt with mental illness, chances are sometime in your life, you are going to love someone who is really struggling. Mm -hmm. And so if you can right off the front tell somebody, hey, this is normal, actually. It's normal to talk about your own personal struggle and that it's 
it's okay, then it gives them permission to, once they love somebody and they see them struggling, they can go, oh, wait, it's not just me. I'm not just alone. I can reach out. I can talk to someone else. And I think that that can be really important. The downside though, is that not everybody has the ability to, mm-hmm. and you know, there's still a big stigma. And I think, you know, it's harder for men. It can be harder for people of color. It can be harder for a lot of different people. So I think it's just, you know, if you can reach out and be sort of honest about your struggle, I think that's important. The other thing that I think can be really helpful, both for people who are struggling and for people who want to help is if you're struggling, if you can tell somebody, this is how I'm struggling and this is what I need from you, Mm -hmm. that can make such a big difference because so often what I really need is I just need somebody to say, that sucks. You're not alone. You're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with a lot of people who don't have mental illness, they're like, let me fix you, you know? And you're like, no, you can't fix me. This is not a fixing situation. Well, I'm really glad you talk about sharing it with the people in your life because I think that's very hard. Like I've suffered from anxiety attacks for years and I have it mostly under control, but not always. Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. been times where like, I would be like on the subway with my kids on the way to something they were really excited to. And I would have to stop and say, I'm having an anxiety attack. I don't know that I can do this. And like, it really helped them to understand. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm not going to die. I'm fine. There's just something that happens to me. And they were, uh, I'm going to cry thinking about it. They were so sweet and understanding. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Do you want to go home? Like literally we'd be like about to go to a Broadway show and I'd be like, yes. I, I can't do this. And they'd be like, that's okay. And it blew my mind how completely empathetic they were. And I think I was so emotional because it was so hard for me to even say that to them or they're going to think I'm like ruining their lives or I'm not doing this thing they want to do. And it surprised me. Do you feel like when most people share this, that it's received with compassion or are there still like a lot of stigmas, even like within the family? I think for the most part, it's received with compassion. I think compassion and empathy, I think it's growing, especially because it is being shared so much. And all of a sudden you can go, oh, oh, wait, okay, wait. I actually saw that on, oh, oh, Ted Ted Lasso did that. I was going to say, I don't want to spoil if people haven't seen season two yet, but yeah, Ted Lasso. (laughs) (laughs) But, But yeah, it's really helpful. The more that you talk about it, the more that people can look and just go, oh, okay, this is just a part of life. And I think it's really helpful for kids to be able to see that, not only because it helps them to grow their empathy and it helps them with their friends or, you know, people who they see who are struggling, but it also gives them permission as they get older to be able to say, hey, I think I'm struggling. And that's so important. And especially kids today, you know, they are dealing with things that, you know, we can't even imagine, you know, living through this crazy pandemic and the world has sort of changed and being able to have an open relationship where they can talk about it, I think is important. And I think one of the things that personally I have learned that has been really helpful is asking, because I always, you know, ask my kid, like, how are you? How's it going? What's Mm -hmm. going on in, in your world? And I would get these sort of, you know, like, oh, things are good and this is good. And I got an A on that paper and I got a C on this paper or whatever. And what I have learned is a more helpful thing to ask is, so on a scale from one to 10, where are you today? Mm -hmm. And also recognizing that like, if they say I'm a 10, maybe that's not so good. Maybe that's like super manic. Maybe that's an issue, you know? So being able to just say like one to 10, kind of where are you? 
and letting them also understand like, where do I want to be? Like, I want to be on a seven on a daily basis, mm-hmm. you know, just going back over a period of time, you know, do, do you go up? Do you go down? It can be helpful for them. It can be helpful for you. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important for your partners, especially and your kids too, but I think about for those people who are partnered for them to understand what's going on with you so that they know how to help because they're the people closest to you. They're who you are leaning on. And I know that you talk a lot about your partner. He is in, you know, all of your books in one way or another. And I never had a partner really who understood. And I recently just had an incident where my oldest, we went tubing and we were like, we're too good for the rope that ties everybody together. Everyone can be their own independent tuber. Like literally famous last word. Right. (laughs) So my boyfriend has a kid. I have four kids. We're out on this river and my oldest, we lost her, right? We we totally lost her. She can swim. She's fine. And I started to panic and I'm a catastrophizer. That's my kind of anxiety. So she was already basically dead, drowned. Like she was gone within five minutes. I had pretty much gone there. And my partner was like, hey, you see the look at my face and was like, hey, he didn't say it was going to be okay. He didn't say everything was going to be all right. He said, we're going to go off the beach when we get to the end Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk to the guy. He has a jet ski and he has a megaphone and some binoculars and we're going to find her. And it was very firm. It was super assertive. And it just was like exactly what I needed. Now that may not have worked for everybody. Uh And by the way, she was totally fine. She was having like a little mermaid moment and like had gotten (laughs) off the shore and was like looking for shells. She was totally fine. But I think of that because your relationship with your husband is in the books and your experience of not wanting to leave the house or not wanting to talk to people. And when you are partnered, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. It's important for them to know how to respond. Like, I need empathy. You know, it's good for us to say what we need, but also that our partners know, okay, she's feeling like this or he's feeling like this. This is what I can do. Yeah, it has made a really incredible difference in that he used to, you know, be like, okay, first of all, it's not real, uh, which yes. is not the right thing to do. Yes. So that, that was a big one. Just or, shake it off, Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. Why won't you just smile? <laughs> I mean, haven't I made life good enough? You know, and I'm like, doesn't have anything to do with that. You right, know? right. So that took years, honestly, before he finally started to get it. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, talking through it over and over and over. And, you know, sometimes you got to bring them in with your, you know, psychiatrist and have them talk, you know, and the other thing is recognize that your partner that you're dealing with, like, this isn't fun for them either. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to say, like, you don't have to deal with this. You don't know what it's like. But at the same time, I don't know what it's like to have the person that I'm a partner with that I love who can't get off of the couch for a week because they can't, you know, function and has to go through crazy experimental treatments that are, you know, painful and expensive to try to break out of something that, you know, for him, he looks at it and he's like, but just get up. Mm-hmm, like just, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you just get up and take a shower and just like do your work, the day will pass. And I'm like, but you don't understand. And he does now. Right, right. Thank goodness. He's got it. He understands. And it's still a struggle, but it's good. And, you know, sometimes it can be really helpful because there are some times when I'm like, okay, well, I'm depressed and so I'm not going to work. And he's like, okay, I get that you're depressed, but also you're lazy. So maybe, maybe (laughs) let's have both of them. And I'm like, okay, you're right. I actually, I could get up for two hours and get some stuff done before, but I'm going to be exhausted. And he's like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe just take a shower. It sounds to me like you have 
have a really good relationship in part because you've worked hard on it. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that's really valuable when you're dealing with depression and anxiety. And I know that, I mean, I don't talk about my ex too much, but he like really was not supportive. And when I had issues, it was a lot of like, oh, again, or like I was interfering with his life or it was very hard. And I realized that what I started to do was subvert what I was feeling or play it down or not share it just to kind of keep the peace. Which makes and it, it worse. And it just made things so, <laughs> yes, yeah. so much worse. Yeah. So much worse. Yeah. Like I think often as women were inclined to kind of keep the peace and that's one way we do it is like, I, I don't want to burden him with my little anxiety attack that's making me feel like I have to go to the hospital right now, <laughs> you know? And yes. so now that I have a partner who is absolutely compassionate and empathetic and helpful and supportive, like I can't believe I, I lived like that for so long, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so I, my heart really goes out to people who are in relationships where it becomes an added struggle because they can't talk honestly about what they're feeling. Have you heard from people like this? A lot, a lot. And I would say for the most part, those relationships don't last. Mm-hmm. You know, it, as long as you're trying, I think that makes a big difference. I think, you know, if, if I went back to, you know, when we were first married and I looked at our relationship, I would probably be like, this is not going to last. Oh my gosh. Like you're mm. so different. This is a, you, this is a terrible relationship for you to be in. But we both worked our asses off constantly. And it was really, really hard. And that's not to say that like, if you're in a bad relationship, if you just work hard, it'll work out because that is not at all what I'm saying. Because I was in bad relationships before and thank God I got out. But if you have somebody who is at least willing to listen and to learn and to try, even if it's a slow process, that's the thing that you have to have. And you have to have it for anything for, because I mean, you know, mental illness is, you know, definitely one of my big struggles, but you know, of course, you know, Victor has his own struggles and, you know, my kid has their struggles and you have to be able to understand and empathize and find out like, what is it you need from me? How can I make you a happier person or a better person? Because if I'm a better person, then they're going to have a better life, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And if they're better people, then I'm going to have a better life. And also it like, it ripples out into everybody else in the world. Yeah. So how do you handle people who are trying to pull you down? Like whether they're close to you or just people out on the internet, like you have this great line and furiously happy. Well, first of all, you have boundaries, which I like. And I think a lot of people think that maybe you don't because you share so much so honestly, but like, you know, your writing is not your diary. You write essays purposely. But one of the things you wrote that I loved was you said, like my grandmother always said, you're a opinions are valid and important unless it's some stupid bullshit you're being (laughs) shitty about, in which case you can just go fuck yourself. I'm like, more people should hear that advice. Is that how you handle people who are trying to put you down? Are you just like, fuck off, get out? Do you just block people? Like, how do you deal with it? So I've never blocked anyone because I do think that there are a lot of people who suffer through some really bad mental illness stuff. And sometimes it can make them say cruel things. And so I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And you do. You're very diplomatic. If, If it's somebody who seems like they're really struggling, I'll reach out sometimes on the back end, you know, like through a DM or something and just say, it seems like you're having a real hard time. You know, I'm sorry that you're upset about, you know, whatever it is. And most of the time they'll either say like, I'm sorry, I lashed out because, Mm. you know, my dog died or, you know, my kid is in the hospital or, you know, whatever. And I actually have several people who are friends like online now who were like, look, the reason why I found you is because I said something really shitty to you. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So, so there's that. Um, The other thing is, is if I do see somebody, like I do sometimes have people on the blog who will say nasty things and it's rare because for the most part, I just ignore them. And so 
typically if you ignore people like that, they don't come back. Mm -hmm. But if I do, I have had a couple of people and typically what I'll do is I will go in and I will change their comment and I will misspell some of their words. And then I'll go back and I'll save it again so that when they look at it again, they're like, oh my God, I cannot believe I did that. Um, (laughs) It's super petty, but I do it. And uh, when I used to write for Momocrats, we would take troll comments and we would take out all the vowels and then say, you've been disemboweled. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So it was like unreadable. (laughs) If only we could do this like in just regular conversations with people. And you know, what's interesting is that like some people don't care, like just misspell and use bad grammar and whatever. But like, I think for the most part, people would be horrified. Like I have to think about this. How can I use this in my everyday life? (laughs) (laughs) I, I have to say it is fantastic. Like I'm not out on social media as much as I think like maybe the average person, like, you know, I I tweet like maybe three or four times a week, but occasionally when I do, if it's not funny, if it's, you know, pro-choice or go get your vaccine or what the hell Texas, why are we so stupid? Right. Um, (laughs) People will come to my blog and they'll, you know, leave some nasty comment that has nothing to do with my blog. And I know what they're doing is they're going to show it to all their friends on Facebook and say, look what I sent to this person. And so if I go in and mess it all up, then not only are they embarrassed, but also they've shown this to all their friends. And now all their friends are like, man, you misspelled all those words. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're like four steps ahead of everybody. I just delete. I love it. I'm like, I love no, it. You do not get a platform here to write crap to me. So I just <laughs> well, and yeah. never think about them again. I just I want to be entertained. <laughs> and so if they're not going to entertain me, then I will entertain myself in whatever way I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love love it. So Jenny, I don't want to stop talking to you. I know Liz doesn't either, but we've got to finish up. We want to hear your cool picks of the week. We want to get to all the good stuff, but this is an important way to end. Let's just talk about getting help. It's really hard to do. It's actually really hard now because of the pandemic, right? Just like finding a therapist and a psychiatrist right now is so difficult. It's expensive. And I think there are a lot of resources out there and things that people can do that you know, or you've heard, or you've experienced that other people might not know. And and one example is for me is when my daughter was struggling and I knew she needed medication. Like I knew it was a thing. I could not get a psychiatrist anywhere. And my friend who's a therapist was like, go to your pediatrician. And I don't even know why I didn't think about that because I was a therapist a long time ago. It just wasn't anything I would do because I was like, oh, they're just going to send me a psychiatrist. But that's actually a thing. Yes. If your child is struggling, go to your pediatrician. So I'm wondering, are there any other points or helpful resources or things that you can give to our audience when it comes to getting help? There are. So one of the things, and you know what, this honestly might even just be a local thing, but I would assume that this probably exists in other places. There are some crisis mental health places and they're not like suicide hotlines, although I'm a very big fan of those and use those myself. But Mm -hmm. like in San Antonio, Sigma, if you just call Sigma and unfortunately they don't take a whole lot of insurance and all of that. But if you're having a mental health crisis, it's somebody who can call you back right away and get you in and get you help. And a lot of times that can be easier than going to the emergency room where you just don't really know what that's going to be. So I 
I would say looking online for crisis mental health kind of stuff can be really helpful. Unfortunately, it takes forever to get in to see a good therapist or a good psychiatrist, especially if you want to get one on your insurance. I don't know if they do that on purpose or what, but mm. it's super sucks. And so in that case, there are a lot of group things that are available online where you can just talk to groups of people and, you know, different communities that you can even find sort of locally and different Zoom groups and things like that. The suicide hotline honestly has helped me in many occasions. And sometimes you can just call them and just say, I'm having a really hard time and I just need somebody to listen to me for a minute. And they are trained to do that. Mm. They are absolutely wonderful. I know a lot of people who work for them and volunteer for them. I will say you don't always get the right person person though. And so sometimes, and it's the same thing with therapist, right? Or psychiatrist. Sometimes you reach out and you do all this work and you get, and then guess what? They're not the right person for you. And that doesn't mean you failed. And it doesn't mean that your therapist or psychiatrist failed. It just means that you need to say, I don't think this is the right fit and find somebody else. And there's no fail in that. And your therapist isn't going to get mad at you. And the psychiatrist is not going to get mad at you. It doesn't hurt to advocate for yourself. They're not going to get their feelings hurt. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things I would say is being open to different types of treatment. You know, I have treatment resistant depression, which means I've been on more than eight different kinds of medications for my depression. And every time when it stops working, I would feel like, oh, I've failed at mm. depression. And that that's not true at all. Like you wouldn't look at somebody and be like, oh, well, you know, you had cancer and radiation didn't work. And so now we're going to have to do surgery. You wouldn't go like, oh, I failed cancer. You would just be like, okay, well, I'm taking the different steps. It's the same thing. And I have had transcranial magnetic stimulation. Recently, when I was in a really deep spot, I went to ketamine, psychedelic, where, you know, doctors basically shoot you up with psychedelic drugs. Mm. And for some reason, it helps. And, and you wouldn't think it would. Mm -hmm. That seems like just say no, you know, <laughs> but it turns out, you know, six treatments in and it's not comfortable and it's weird and it's, you know, kind of expensive, but it made such a difference. Wow. You know, and unfortunately, you know, not everybody has the ability to do all of those things. Mm -hmm. One of the most important things that we don't necessarily look at is it's okay to reach out to people, to friends and it's okay to reach out on the internet and say, hey, I'm struggling today. Does somebody want to talk to me? And sometimes the people that you depend on the most, like maybe you reach out to your mom and your mom is like, get your shit together. You've always been a problem. But don't listen to your mom, you know, like... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Your mom's wrong. So you need to go out. You deserve to find help and you deserve to find happiness and you deserve to continue to fight for contentment and for safety. And that applies to anybody, you know, whether it's about mental illness or whether it's about chronic pain or whether it's about racism or whether it's about, you know, a million things that everybody is dealing with right now. You deserve to feel safe and to be happy and you deserve to continue to work toward that. Jenny, I want to hug you. I miss you so much and now I miss you more and that was terrific advice and mm -hmm. I and I really just want to put a point on the fact that you may not find the right thing at first mm -hmm. it doesn't mean like you failed there are other options there's other yes. therapists there's other people and you're right that you're not going to hurt their feelings <laughs> they are there to help support people the best they can if they can't support you then they'll support somebody else and you'll find a different therapist and so exactly. I love this and, and I also really appreciate that you brought up different kinds of therapies because I know you know from 
Chinese medicine and acupuncture, that there's many cultures that have treated all kinds of ailments in different ways than we are, quote, comfortable with <laughs> in the West. And so there are, there are more options out there. I'm just so grateful for all the positivity and the helpful resources. I hope this helps somebody listening or somebody in your life that might need it. Me too. Well, everyone probably already knows where to find Jenny, but if you don't, Jenny is on Twitter and Instagram at the blogs, theblogs.com, and all of your books are available online wherever you get your books, as well as at your own bookshop where they're autographed. How cool is that? Nowherebookshop.com. You can find them there all signed by Jenny. Plus, you get to support a small, independently owned, woman-owned bookshop run by an actual cool person who we know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not a fake cool person. The most important factor in choosing a bookstore. You know. <laughs> Kristen yes. and Liz have to like them. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And one day when the vaccination rates go up, we're actually going to have like a bar and booze and all of that. But we're like, you know what? Keep your mask on for right now. Because I know. And please help the government get stuff together in Texas so I can come back yes. and visit with a good conscience again. Exactly. Yeah, for real. <laughs> well, this is amazing, Jenny. Thank you. And you're going to stick around for our cool picks of the week? Yes. Excellent. So since you are our guest, it's time for our cool picks the week. Cool picks of the week. And Jenny, you get to go first. Love it. Okay, let's see. So my favorite thing right now that has just been saving me this whole last week because I finished Squid Game and it was so good. <gasps> don't tell me, don't tell me. I just finished episode six. Okay, okay. I'm almost there. Yes, yes. So it's, it's bleak, right? So as I was watching it, I had to like switch off and watch Love on the Spectrum at the same time oh. because it's so good and yes. I just love everybody on it. That oh. is my cool pick is. It is the best. Oh. It is a salve to the soul. Like their love is so innocent. Like I just love how they just really say, they're like, isn't this romantic? This is so romantic. Are you feeling romantic? I am feeling so much romance and love. It's just like, oh, it's so, it's just lovely. Did you ever see the movie Life Animated? No. It's a Oscar winning documentary about a guy on the spectrum and living life and how he came to fall in love and become verbal and like grow up and have a relatively high functioning life thanks in part to Disney movies. Oh. He learned everything he could say and facial expressions and relationships all from Disney cartoons. Wow. Gosh. Jenny, it's your kind of film. You would love it. I, I do love it. And it's funny because I was watching it by myself and then my husband like walked in and he started to get into it. And I was like, isn't this romantic? And he was like, are you kidding me? Are you going to start doing it too? And I'm like, I think I am. I know. I know. I was telling my boyfriend, there's just something very beautiful about just being very straightforward and assertive of like, what is happening? It's like, I like you. I feel like this is very romantic. Would you like to do this next week? Yes. <laughs> it's like, yes. I love, love it. The ultimate in consent. Yes. Kristen, yes. how about you? So I can't believe, I mean, it's 2021. This year has been full of surprises. And another surprise that may shock both of you is that I'm now a fan of clogs. It's okay. Clogs. I'm okay. I just want to <laughs> let you know, I do love clogs. I've been working on a review for Cool Mom Picks. I'm trying out different clogs because yes, they're not created equal, my friends. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I'm loving are from Lada's from Stockholm. Swedish clogs, of course, are famous. Uh, you know, they're a little pricey, but I have to say this. I put them on my feet and they were super comfortable. I didn't have to break them in. I don't even know what that looks like, to be honest. They're like wood. How do you break in wood sold shoes? No idea. <laughs> but anyway, I have to say they're super cute. They're very on trend right now, but they're honestly very comfortable. I love this brand in particular. People have been asking me like whether they run wide. I think they run true to size. So anyway, yeah, I can't believe I'm saying it, but my cool pick of the week, clogs. 
I can't believe it yes. either, but I'm intrigued. I'm All right, intrigued. Liz, what about you? Um, so because middle age, yay, I'm now <laughs> like realizing that like I put on makeup, it looks amazing. An hour later, I'm like, what is all the shit in the creases of my eyes? <laughs> like it's running, it's terrible. And like this being the Zoom generation or whatever we're going to be called, the Zoom era, I started using, I realized I had this compact of powder. I don't know if I got it in a goodie bag somewhere or where it came from, but it's from Urban Decay. It's called All Nighter Waterproof Setting Powder. And I never thought I would use powder because it's just, I'm kind of a low maintenance makeup person. I love it. Okay. It's so good. I'm looking right now. I actually dot it on like under my eyes and stuff. And it actually keeps everything from dripping down. Plus it gives you like a nice little, you know, if you get shiny during the day, it's still humid these days. like gives you a little matte finish. And really as someone who's not high maintenance and does not put on 800 things, it's just been a new tool in my beauty kit that I'm enjoying very much from Urban Decay. We'll link it up on our site. Yes, along with everything else. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Thank you so much to our incredible guest, Jenny Lawson, aka The Blogas. We're so glad she could finally join us. And of course, as always, thanks to our fabulous engineer, John Bowen. Hey, if you've got a minute and can leave us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate your time and energy. It means so much to us. We know we keep asking, but hey, a lot of you keep delivering. And so ask for the order, as they always say. It really helps support us. So we appreciate that very much. You can also join us in our Spawned podcast community on Facebook, where we chat about the show topics and pretty much anything else you'd like to talk about, or find us in our other communities there, where we talk about food and recipe rescue, and we talk about tech and out-tech your kids. Whatever you want, we probably have a community for it. Communities are important, as we heard here today. Thank you so much for listening to Spawn. This is Liz. Kristen just jumped off for another meeting. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.